let's get going with where we've left off. Remember what we've been talking about. Faith. Right? We've been in this series, The New Man, for a long time. We've gotten to the point where we understand that the new man exists. And how do we know that? We know it by the word. This isn't something that I'm just trying to explain to you. And this is contrary to what a lot of religious systems would teach. Because what a lot of religious systems, even what we would consider Christianity, will teach in some form or fashion, you have to do certain things to be right with God. Now, we wouldn't say it in that way a lot of times, but in the way that we act, we would. There are churches today that are going to say, well, if you're not baptized, you're going to hell. They're going to preach that in some way today. That's not what the Bible says, but that's what they say. Or you have to take the sacraments in a certain way. It can only be administered by this person or whatever the case may be. And yet none of that has anything to do with the Bible. What the Bible says is that we are a new creation. In Colossians 3 verse 1, it says, In this then you were raised with Christ. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. So where's Christ? He's above, right? Because that's a theme we're going to work on today. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, is who, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members. I can't stress that enough. What's it talking about? Your flesh. We need to kill that thing off. Because it likes to rear its ugly head every once in a while, right? If you're not sure, go hit your thumb with the hammer, and your flesh will remind you he's still doing okay, and he's alive and well. And then repent. Okay. So put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, I'll just say this. This is an all-encompassing list. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. I think that's fair. We were all there once, right? But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Whether there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, doesn't matter because Christ is all in all. You see, the reason that we can be made new is because of the work that Christ did. We receive it simply by believing in it and receiving that free gift. That's all there is to it. It's that simple. Why do we complicate it? I don't know. Because there is something about the concept of this unmerited love that we cannot wrap our heads around. Every relationship on this earth has strings attached to it at some point. Your mama might like you a lot, but I can promise you there is something you could do that can make her not like you. Okay? It might take more than others, but there is a, a line that can be crossed eventually. And so with God, that line cannot be crossed because he chose while we were still sinners to come down to this earth and die for us. When we look at 1 Corinthians 5, and we've read both of these several times, for we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are sound mind, it is for you. The love of Christ compels us. Because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all. And those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. We should really stop living for ourselves. You notice that our entire society is all wrapped around us? 
what can I have, what's in it for me? You ever heard this, and, and those of you that are in business, I'm sure, where somebody does something that really isn't right, but they'll make the statement, it's just business. Like, oh, yes, screw me over, and then say it's just business. That's okay, no big deal, right? But you hear those statements made all the time, and we do that whether we want to admit to it or not. Verse 16, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know and thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he who made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And what's the key? It's in him. In him we live and move and have our big... Guys, it's in him. Like, that's it. We're either in him or we're not. And if we are, then we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And to become in him and to become that righteousness, all we do is simply receive it. How do we receive it? By faith. We believe. We trust. We are fully persuaded that God is who he says he is. And we've been hanging out on this verse. Look at this one. Hebrews 11.6. Now, let's go to 11.6. Can we go to the other one? We'll come back to that one. Did I not have it up there? Okay, well, I'm going to read it to you. Pretend that it is. Everybody stare at the screen. It's really hard to find good tech guys. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it's, it's probably the tech guy's fault, I'm pretty sure. Actually, the tech guy just pushes the button. It's the guy who puts it on there. It's his fault. So my apologies. Here we go. You guys know it. You guys can probably say it with me. Without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You're looking. Did you find it? Hey! That's all right. Hey, no excuses back there. All right? I work alone. All right? Here we go. Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes must believe. That believe is the same word as faith. It's the exact same word. What must we believe? That God is, and he rewards those who diligently seek him. You notice it doesn't say casually seek him. Diligently implies some intentionality in what you're doing. And without belief in him, you cannot please God. Right? You can't. That's what it tells us. I'm trying to please God by doing what? Oh, I, I, I go to church, and I give to the poor, and I help with the widows, and I serve down at the senior center, and uh, I bake pies for, for, for people who are hurting, and I go to the hospital and pray for Did you notice that that is not what it says? It says if you don't have faith in him, those good things are nothing. They're important, but they're not what pleases God. We're going to this works mentality, and we're going to look at this today. So we have to have faith, but what is faith? Now we'll go to Hebrews 11.1. So let's switch back to the other one, big guy. Hey, look at that. He's all over it. Faith is what? It's the substance of things that are hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. The substance is the realization of what we can't see in front of us. Did you see the moment of creation? No, you did not. 
I know some of you are a little older than some of us, but I can assure you, I am making no eye contact either. I am looking away. I can assure you, you didn't see. So how do we believe that he did that? On faith. We weren't there, right? I mean, we put faith in things all the time. When you take your money to the bank, do you have faith that when you go to get it back out, it's going to be there? Yes. We don't even think about it anymore. There was a time where that was a little sketchy, you know, quite a while back, but, but you didn't know. When you, have, when you go to a restaurant, do you have faith that that cook washed his hands? Is that important to you? But do you sit there and ask the waitress? Now, the cook washed his hands, right? No, you don't. When you go in to have surgery, do you trust that everything has been sterilized and it's clean? Yeah, you don't ask those questions. It's just kind of the way it is. You just expect it. So it's the same thing. That, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, but that they're evidence of things not seen. The reality of the unseen is our faith. We can't see God, but we know that he is. Can we see the results of God? Yes, we can. God's all around us. He created everything that was here, all of it. And it is made of things that are unseen. As crazy as it sounds, this isn't really solid, this pulpit here. It's made up of little tiny molecules and other things that are moving around really fast. And it gives the perception of solid, but it's not solid. Wrap your head around that one for a minute. Now, we know this all came from happenstance, right? It just, it just formed itself one day, right? That's how it works. Ask any good scientist. He'll tell you that. So we have faith in God. But how do we prove our faith? You see, we, we try to come to God by doing things, and yet God says, don't come by doing. Come by receiving what I've done. It's that simple. But at that point, where does the doing come from? Now, look at this. James chapter 2. We read more out of James 2 last week, but we're not, we're not going to go through all of it. James 2, verse 18. Someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God? Well, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Belief without action does not exist because your beliefs will mold the things you do and say. They will impact that. So if you go to that restaurant and you are uncertain about the cleanliness of the cook, your actions will respond in a couple of ways. You may ask the question, you may inspect the kitchen, or you may just go home. But if you're not sure how clean it is, most people are out of there. You're not real adventurous, right? Let's see. Hey, I'm not sure that I want to play around with projectile diarrhea today. I think I'll just go home and eat, right? Yeah, you're all looking at me cross-eyed. I know what you're thinking. You see, but we have an expectation based off of experience. Our experience should be that we accept God, we come to Him in faith because we believe that He is and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. I'd like to think that that's you and I, that we are diligently seeking Him. Therefore, who He is and what He says that we are should be all that we need. 
Even if things on this earth don't seem to line up with that, we're not going to be moved by that. We're going to be moved by what God has done, what God has said. You guys with me? You see, this faith aspect, we've complicated. Let's simplify it. It's belief in God. You have faith when you go to a steakhouse that that steak never hit the floor. Okay? I've worked in some restaurants, and I can assure you, not all food never hits the floor. Okay? I've seen it happen. When you go to a hotel, did they wash the sheets? I sure hope so. I mean, you think about th the things we just kind of accept, but the things of God we question. Right? There are things that we can just blindly accept. Hey, I don't need nothing. I, this is just the way it's supposed to be. Therefore, it is. But God said this. Well, I don't know if that's what it means. It's like we open up our Bible, and it says that believers lay hands on the sick and they recover. And then we look at God and say, God, I know this is what you said, but let me tell you what you meant. You meant if it was your will, that's what we do. Even though he clearly says that that is always his will. So we begin to question God and all the things about him, but we don't question other things. Okay? Like that corned beef, for those of you who are thinking about going down there today. Let's just hope that that corned beef wasn't dropped in the dirt when it was being cooked. Okay? It's going to taste good. Would you know the difference? No, not until later, maybe. So, again, we're putting faith in it. So our faith has to be in company with works. Our faith is not a result of works, but because of those, because of our faith in God, it changes the way we talk, the way we think, the way we act. We call that sanctification. When we believe God, then we act different. When you give money and we're tithing to God, and we're going to get into this here in a few weeks. I know I keep saying that, but we really will. Talking about giving because it's so important, and it's not just about money. But when you tithe to God, we are trusting that he will meet our needs according to his riches and glory. Why do we trust that? Because he said that. That he is the one that provides for us. So we put our faith and our hope in him. The principle of the first fruit in the Old Testament was that you bring me the firstborn, not knowing if that animal will ever have another baby. Because it is possible they will not. But you're putting your trust in me. And it's not that you're just saying that. You are demonstrating it by bringing that in. And you're trusting God. There are testimonies. I mean, Evan was just telling me this morning. You know, he put out on Facebook that because he's a college student, he's paying his own way. He's got bills to pay. That's not cheap. And that he'd been believing God, but kind of had backed off on tithing some. And he just, he wasn't, you know, just, and we all been there, right? You know, because listen, 10% is still something that can go pay for something, but it's hard to put your faith in God. And this is a learning lesson that we've all been through. And then he immediately does it. Then he gets a big old tax return, right? Who, which took care of his next semester. And then just this morning he comes and said, yeah, I just got a, a $500 scholarship that I'm not even technically qualified for. My response was, well, don't tell him you're not qualified. Just, just receive it and say thank you, Right? But what are we watching? We're watching the hand of God working on his behalf because of obedience. You see, his belief in God has now changed the course of action that he's taking. That's what faith is. So we're not believing God based off of our works. Our works are changing based off our beliefs. You guys with me? Because I want you to get this. Because as we go through Ephesians chapter 1 and 2 today, I want you to look at this because it is, again, it's trusting in God. It's putting our hope in God. We are fully persuaded that God is able. Now let's look at this. 
Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Okay, now again, this is Paul talking to the church of Ephesus. Where has he blessed us? In the heavenly places. What? In Christ, in him, right? Just as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption. What is redemption? It is the purchased back. In him we are redeemed through what? His blood, the action that he took, the sacrifice he made. He explains it. It's the forgiveness of sins. It's according to what? The riches of his grace, his unmerited favor, his choice, his gift. Right? You notice it doesn't say, because you did. It doesn't say that. But that's how we act. Many of us would never make that statement that we got to do things to please God, but yet we live in a way that we got to do things to please God. Because what this is telling me, and we're just getting started, is that God is pleased with us, and because of our faith in him, now we go and do. Let's go on. Which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. So all things in heaven, all things on earth, the fullness is coming together in him. What is this ultimately talking about? What is this mystery? How the world, the Gentiles, will be brought into the body of Christ. Remember, to be right with God, you had to be underneath the covenant with Israel. Therefore, you had to align yourself with them prior to this. This is the mystery that nobody expected, that it all is going to the entire world. So they weren't prepared for that, even though they should have been. Verse 11, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. How did we obtain it? In him, right? The only way, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. So how did they enter into that inheritance? They trusted in Christ. What is another word for that? They put their faith in him. They believed. That's it. That was all they had to do. So verse 13, in him you also trusted after you heard what? The word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, same word as faith, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What is that sealing of the Holy Spirit? It is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to, praise, to the praise of His glory. You are the purchased possession. You will be redeemed in eternity. But our seal right now, the guarantee that this is going to happen is the Holy Spirit being within us and upon us. And that is how we know that God God is who he said he is. How do we enter into this? We trust in him. You guys see how simple this is? You see how complicated we make it, right? I mean, think about it like this. I'm going to pause there for just a minute. We'll come back. But, but what do we tell people? Come to Jesus just as you are. And as soon as they do, now here's a list of things you need to go fix, right? 
And, and, and what does the devil tell people to do? Listen, you can't go to church today. You know what you did last week? I mean, and we've all been there. Or he'll put ideas in your head and it's like, well, you can't go to God. You're not worthy. I got news for y'all. Nobody's worthy. Nobody's worthy. When we realize who we are in him, we are that purchased possession sealed by the Holy Spirit as that guarantee. It's almost like it's a down payment of good faith from God. And if you're going to put your faith on anybody's down payment, it best be God's. Let's go on. Verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So where was their faith? In Jesus. Your belief and your love for all the saints do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who do what? Believe. Have faith in Him. According to the working of His mighty power. Whose power? So what is our faith towards believing? Is in whose power? God's power, right? Which He worked in Christ. When He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. So that was a demonstration of God's power. Our faith is in that. And that place that he is seeing is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. If you don't know what, what a principality, a power, and a might, and a dominion is, well, that's fine, I can get that, and we'd, if we had more time, we'd go through that. But how about every name that is named? We can wrap our head around that. What's not named? You can't name it, right? Because it wouldn't be named. No, Nothing. Okay, tough crowd. Guys, he's above everything. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. We are there. Okay? Now watch what it says here. Because that's where it's a demonstration of his power that we put our faith in to believe. Watch what it says, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet. So what is all things? Does that leave anything behind? No, it does not. And gave him to be head over all things. What is all things? It's everything, right? To the church. He's head over all things to the church. What is the church? It's his body. It's the fullness of him who fills all in all. So he's head over all things to the church or his body, right? And you we made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is chapter 2 which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Okay, that's what you were. You fulfilled the lust of the flesh. You fulfilled the lust of the mind. Your, your entire life existed about what's in it for me. When a child is young and he depends on you for his necessities, when he's hungry, what does he do? He cries. I can tell you firsthand right now. And what makes him stop crying? Nothing until he ain't hungry no more. There's no reasoning with him. 
There's no, hey, buddy, we're going to eat in 30 minutes. He wants food now. And if you want peace in your home, you feed the child. Right? Because all we care about is our Our nature is what's in it for me. That's all we care about. That kid don't care about nobody else, what you're eating, when you're eating, what's your day like. Your one-year-old, when you come home from the worst day at work you've ever had, doesn't say, I know you've had a tough day. Why don't you just take the night off? I'll make supper. He don't care. He says, I want food, and I want it now. He don't care what your day was like. He don't care what you're going through. He doesn't care how you feel. Moms, when you have a day where you don't feel well, do the children just say, oh, that's okay, you rest. We'll take it from here. No. They're like, why don't you get up and make us a peanut butter sandwich? Because they don't care. They're all about themselves. And guess what? We all once were as well. But because of our belief in him, our actions should change because it no longer is about us. We're no longer walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who is now at work and the sons of disobedience. Are you disobedient? No, you're not. Why? Because you're in him. You can't be. You've been obedient. You put your faith in him. We all conducted ourselves. But verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy... Because of his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, that can say sins, when we were dead in our sins and all those things that were above, when we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. Okay, now let's go and look at this again. He's rich in mercy. We sing about that today. Your mercy lives forever. Because of his great love, in which he loved us, even when we didn't deserve it. Even when we were unworthy. Even when we were the most vile person on the earth, he still loved us. And then he made us alive together with Christ. Now look at this. By grace you have been saved. We'll talk about that more in a minute. And he did what? He raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now think about that. We are his body. He is the head. He is seated at the right hand of God. Where's his body? He's not decapitated. He's not a floating head up there. The body of Christ spiritually is seated with him above all what? Principalities, dominions, principalities, all that stuff. Over every name that is named. In Christ. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. Right? It's not of yourselves. How more clear can that be? So you didn't earn it, right? Can't. It's by grace. It's his grace. But how do we receive that grace? We believe in him. That's how the grace comes. So it's not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Now look at verse 10. We always stop there. Look at verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, not by good works. We are created new in Christ for the purpose of fulfilling his calling in the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, your actions began to reflect the change that was made in you. But the in you is not changed by your actions. And let me tell you, God is not moved by them either. Is God pleased when we do things according to his will? Of course he is. But that is not what made us right with God. 
You see, it's our faith in Him. There's only one way that we are right with God. It's our faith in Him, our trust in Him, our belief in Him. It's His grace that we are saved. So our actions should begin to reflect the change inside of us, especially as we become more knowledgeable about the things of God. And how do we do that? Through the Word. Through our study and understanding of the Word. We begin to grow. We talk about the sanctification. You're justified at the moment you're born again. And, and, and an easy way to remember this, just if I had never sinned. I am made right with God. I can't earn more righteousness. I can't lose righteousness. I'm right. You're either right or you're wrong. There is no levels to it. Okay? So if I'm right, then from that point I begin to do these works, these things change in my life. And that's called sanctification. As our outer man, we crucify that flesh to make it more into the image of who Christ was. And who was Christ? He was one that went to the sick, he went to the poor, he helped people out, as did the apostles. It was no longer about him. He laid down his life for us. I mean, have your kids ever? Let's say that you have two sons, okay? And son A did something really bad, and it's whipping time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Did anybody ever have to go pull their own switch? You know what I'm talking about? I was like, you younger guys probably don't even know what a switch is. A switch is you had to go pull a little stick off a tree. And it wasn't a big stick. It was a really tiny stick. And uh, it, it, uh, it would remind you that you were bad, right? My grandmother, my great-grandmother, actually down in Oklahoma, a good southern woman, I'd never heard of a switch until I went down there to visit. And she said, go pull the switch. And I turned the lights off. I thought that's what she meant. She said, no, you go out there. And she walked me out there, and we picked a good one. And I never forgot what a switch was from that day on. I'm not saying I didn't deserve it, but I'm saying that I probably didn't deserve it. I was a perfect child. But, but child A is deserving of this punishment. Child B, who's done nothing wrong, right? It's that middle child. He never does anything wrong, right? And you're getting ready to punish it. Does child B ever, has this ever happened to anybody else? Like, no, 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 don't do it. Let me take this for them. Because I love them, I don't want to see them in pain. I don't want to see them hurt. Let's let them go. And then I will step in. Has that ever happened? It has not happened in my house. It did not happen for us growing up. What happens when child A is getting ready to get spanked? Child B, C, D, and E are standing around watching. Like, this is awesome. It's not us. <laughs> now, you didn't make too many facial expressions or laugh because then it could become you. You couldn't enjoy it too much, at least on the outside. But on the inside, you were loving every minute of it, right? You see, literally, that is what Jesus did. We received that, he received that punishment in himself because he loved us. So our actions begin to change. It's amazing what you see in the life of somebody because what is the God of this world? It is money. It's what makes the world go wrong. You realize that we would have no hunger problem in this world ever if it wasn't for greed. We make plenty of food. But greed is what keeps people from, uh, from just giving everything that they've got, right? But something changed inside of a believer when they're following him, that that money is simply a tool. It is not what they live their lives by. So God can give more, God can take away, whatever, but I'm not moved by it one way or the other. So our actions begin to change. Now the Bible talks about this and what we should begin to look like. In Hebrews chapter 5, I want you to look at this, because this stuff is often overlooked. Hebrews chapter 5, we've been in the book of Hebrews, verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. So this tells us something. You should be at a place where you're teaching, but yet you're not, you need to be taught. Okay? 
and you have come to need milk and not solid food, right? Newborn babies, what do they drink? They drink milk, that's their food. As you get older, you introduce solid food. For everyone who partakes only in milk, only of milk, is unskilled in the word of righteousness. What is the word of righteousness? You can say it's the word. It's the things of God. You're unskilled in them, and because of that, you're only drinking this milk. For he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. So how old is full age? Pick a number. Whatever. It has nothing to do with our physical age. It's a spiritual thing. Now watch this. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So how does one go from milk to solid food? It tells us those who are on it by reason of use, by action, their senses have been exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, being a hearer of the word makes you a babe of Christ. Being a doer of the word makes you able to discern both good and evil and therefore make you prepared for solid food. In other words, it takes action. Spiritually speaking, I've seen people sit in churches for 40 and 50 years and they're as immature as they come because all they care about is what's in it for me. Because they've never had their senses exercised by this reason of use. That's the key. It's this doing. It's not enough to talk about it. You can talk to your blue in the face. You've got to put action with your words. You guys seeing what I'm saying here? You guys following me? Now look at what Jesus says in John chapter 4. Start in verse 27. Now this is right after the woman at the well. You guys know that story. The woman at the well. At this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Remember, that's kind of frowned upon. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Remember, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Then they went out of the city and came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Don't you like how Jesus always talked in these, like, these big words and stuff? Like, just, just spell it out, would you? Anyway. I have food to eat, which you do not know. So therefore the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Right? It's a fair question. What does Jesus say? Verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. What is the meat that Jesus lived on? Doing the will of God. For us... To become mature, we have to do the will of God. Not enough to know it, we've got to do it. We've got to be obedient to it. If it's good enough for Jesus, I'd like to think it's good enough for us. You see, Jesus gives a parable. It's called the parable of the sower. And I don't know that I've ever taught through this on Sundays. I know I've talked about it a little bit on Wednesdays and some different things. But what we have to do is we have to break that down to see what it is. Because it's all about action. It's not just about talk and, and, and seeing where we are in our spiritual journey, if you will. So let's do this first. Let's jump into Mark chapter 4. This Mark 4 and Luke 8 are the two places we're going to look at today. Mark 4, starting in verse 1. And again he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, the sower went out to sow. 
And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But the other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, who would that be? That would be everybody, right? He who has ears, let him hear. That's all of us. That's all of them. Everybody's there. If you don't have ears, I guess then technically you're dismissed from this. Thanks for coming. It's been a wonderful day. I love you. Okay, now let's look at this because we see a number of different things going on, and I want to break this down. The first thing that we see is seed, right? The next thing mentioned are birds. Because he's going to explain all this to us. Then we have four types of soil, right? You have the soil that's on the wayside. Okay, that was the first one. The second one was what? It was the stony soil. Okay? What was the third one? The thorny soil. What was the last one? This is the toughie. It was good soil. Now, I do not plant things. Okay? Never been a farmer. Don't want to be a farmer. Uh, I had a potted plant once. I killed it in three weeks. I tried to make it live. It didn't live. I do not have a green thumb. You have a green thumb, and maybe two of them, because she's always out playing around in her plants and stuff like that. I am no expert on agriculture, but what I do know is that if i got to choose, I want good soil, okay? That's what I know. That's the end of all I know about agriculture. So we see these different things mentioned. we got four soils, we got seed, and we got birds. we got to figure out what Jesus is talking about. So let's go on, verse 10. But when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. And he said to them, To you has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things come in parables. And we've talked about this before, but the parables were, were said because those who are of the faith, who believed in him, understood it. But those, the Pharisees and those who are outside, never could have put these two things together. Verse 12, so that seeing that you may see and not perceive and hearing that you, they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So what does this tell us? We need to figure this thing out. We need to be able to unlock this thing or we're not going to understand because Jesus taught a lot in parables. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones uh, sown on stony ground, who, when they heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, and the cares of this world, and deceitfulness of riches, and desires for other things enter and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones on good ground. Those who hear the word, they accept it, and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100, just so you know, that has nothing to do with money. I know it's a popular teaching. But here's the thing. So what was the seed? Seed's the word, right? It's what it just told us. So is the word. But what was the birds? It's Satan. 
It says that the birds came and devoured it, right? Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. And he specifically came, and what did he target? The first one. He came in, and it said he devoured the seed. Came immediately to take the seed that was sown in their heart. Now, you'll notice that the other ones, it says they receive it, and they believe it. They accept it. As your faith comes by hearing, and hearing what you are accepting as truth, what you hear. Right? Because you can hear the word tons and tons of times. If you never believe it, it does you no good. If you can't accept it as truth, it does you no good. So we see that the birds come after the, the wayside soil. But we know what the seed is. Now, let's jump over to Luke chapter 8. And let's get a little more clarification of what's going on here. Remember, when you look at the Gospels on the accounts, some of them give different details. And you can uh, glean from both of them. Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4, And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow the seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Same thing we saw before. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it, and others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop of a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but the rest it is given in parables that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Again, the, this parable unlocks everything with the kingdom of God. Here we go. Now this parable is this. The seed is the word of God. We've established that, right? Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. So they heard the word. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts. He takes that seed the way out of their heart. For what reason? Lest they should believe and be saved. Which one does he go after? He goes after the way one. For what purpose? That they might believe it if he doesn't. So there's a distinction made here. Because you notice it doesn't attack the other ones. He says they accept it. He's heard it. There's a seed in their heart. But who comes to take it? The devil comes to take it from unless they put their faith in Christ and be saved. You ever caught that before? Because it blew me away the first time I ever saw that, realizing that this one here is not a born-again person. Somebody was sowing seed, sowing the word, giving them the truth of the gospel, and that seed landed. But the enemy came immediately to take that from their heart or they should become saved. Now look at the next one. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while in a time of temptation they fall away. That's different because they receive the word right here with joy. Right? They're excited about it. You ever see somebody give their life to Christ? Most of the time, there's enthusiasm there because they have recognized that they were dying in their sins and it's like, oh my goodness, I am set free. There's this joy that comes with it. There's this excitement. But what happens? There's no root. So when times of temptation come, they tend to fall away. Does that make them not saved? No. Because what's the purpose here? Producing fruit. They produce no fruit because they have no root. You see, this is why, and this is the church's fault, is that we have lost the art of discipleship today. 
We have a lot of people. Here's what happens in today's church. We have an altar call. People are crying. The music's going. It's wonderful. Somebody comes up. They give their life to God. We're so excited for them. And then we say, hey, good luck to you. We pat them on the behind and send them on their way. Hope you figure it out. Look at the pattern that Jesus did with his disciples. They literally lived with him day and night. Were around him at all times. They were there all the time when they needed Jesus. All they had to do was ask. He was right there. And these disciples had disciples that did the same thing. I'm not telling you you need to let someone move into your basement. But what I am telling you is that discipleship is a frustrating and dirty process. You're going to get your hands dirty. And people are going to, but we need to because they're excited about the things of God. How do we help them in their journey? You can't do that unless you're in their lives. We've got to help take these people to the next step. We've got to get with them, meet with them, let them text us, let us call Facebook. I don't care what it is. They need to be able to ask questions when they have it because we want to get them to the good soil. Let's go to the next one. Now, the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares riches and pleasure of life and bring no fruit to maturity in other words the things of this world begin to take precedence in their life and they never produce fruit but the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart they keep it and they bear fruit with patience you notice these are kind of sandwiched here first of all the good soil how do you bear fruit be patient. Be patient. It's no different than if a farmer went out there one day, planted a whole you know, field full of corn and went out the next day. It's like, why isn't this grown yet? We've got to be patient. But what do we see? We've got unbelievers. They're not saved. Why? Because the seed was thrown, but the enemy came and took it from their hearts. Guys, I cannot tell you how many times I've seen this happen. I've had somebody that's coming in the next day to see me. Something's happened in their life. Something comes up, they don't make it. And then you reschedule, and then something comes up, and they don't make it. They're right there. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen somebody sit in a church service, and you can tell the Holy Spirit is working on them, and then when it's time, hey, what do you want to do? I want to think about it. It's sad. But, that's, but who does it? It's the enemy. Like, think about that. I mean, have you ever been frustrated? Like, why aren't people like, I've, I've shared this so many times. Why are they not getting it? It's the enemy. Right? It's not your pitch. Then you got these two. These, these guys are born again, but they don't produce fruit. Why? The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Yeah, there's excitement, but stuff happens and it brings them down. Maybe it's bad decisions on their part. Who knows whatever the stuff is. Remember, we're dealing with babes. They're on milk. We need to help pick them up, dust them off, and send them on their way. And then finally, with patience, we can become the good soil and produce fruit. But it's only with patience. Now, here's the question for you. Which one are you? Because if our faith is demonstrated by our actions, then we ultimately want to get here. We've all been in these different spots, sometimes at the same time. Sometimes we have a good day. Yeah, I produced a little fruit today. Some days that's not the way it goes. You see, we demonstrate our faith by our actions. We do not receive the grace of God by the things that we do. You guys following me? It's so important we get this. Because this, Jesus said, if you can't understand this, you're not going to understand any of the parables. It's that important. It's that simple. So this tells me that 25% of people 
are not going to get born again. They're not going to give their lives to Christ. This tells me that 50% of people will do that, but that's going to be the end of the road for them. They got their ticket in, but that's it. And that tells me that 25% of people are going to be that good soil that are going to produce fruit. You notice it said 30, 60, and 100 fold. That means it's not all going to be the same. Not all of us are going to be Billy Grahams. And according to Jesus, that's okay. Right? We're not supposed to compare our ministry to somebody else's ministry. We're supposed to do what we're told to do. See, that, that's the thing. This is so simple when you break it down. But when it's so complicated, because we want to add a whole bunch of stuff. You notice not one time did it say that the seed was sown, and then he went out and pulled weeds, and then he had to go and, and hoe that trench, and he had to go water. He didn't say any of that kind of stuff there, right? In other words, that the seed's sown, we either receive it or we don't. We either do the things of God or we don't. That's it. The question is, is where are we at? Do we want to be good soil? I sure hope so. This is not talking about the fruit of the Spirit. This isn't talking about you walking in patience and peace and love and joy. This is producing fruit for the kingdom because immediately after this, Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The fields are ready, but who am I going to send out? I don't know about you guys. I want to be here every day. I want to live my life there. I want to be good soil for him. And so our actions, when they begin to reflect the change that is in us, will make us into that good soil that we can produce the fruit that God has called us to produce. Amen? It's, is this complicated? It's really not. Like, simplify it. Let's start today. Let's start with where we are. I don't care what happened yesterday. I don't care. Stupid decisions being made makes no difference to me. Let's just start today. Is what can I do? For the Lord today, what can I give over to him? What am I holding back? What can I do to let my actions reflect the change that was in me? If we just diligently seek him, those things will begin to change in our lives. Amen. God's good. Amen.